Hi, this is Andrew Farris, and you've been listening to Welcome to VR, Part 3. Welcome to your Nexus Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Nexus nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in Excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Hello, welcome to Nexus Access All Areas, episode seventy-eight. I think it's take two, B. <laughs> <laughs> We are the NXS podcast you need to listen to if B decides to not end the podcast before we start the podcast, B. <laughs> and we hope to get NXS into the Rock Hall of Fame, have a lot of fun along the way, but also make sure recording of the podcast stays permanent. Hello, B. How are you? Yes, I'm very sorry about that. I'm very trigger happy, I suppose. I'm, I'm very excited because we've just been listening to Triple M. Hello, Triple M people. It was a really good party this afternoon, wasn't it, Hayden? Well, it was. I uh, was out on a little bit of a podcast mission today. I shall uh, keep uh, the details confidential, other than to say that uh, lots of goodies in the system. Mm-hmm. But on the way home, I turned the radio on and there's Tur- Tim and, better call him Turk, Tim Turk. and Kirk. Uh, <laughs> Is that what we're going to call them together? Yeah, waxing lyrical and uh, 30 years since uh, Live Baby Live or Live Baby Live, depending on uh, if you're dyslexic or not. Uh, and the they guys were... called it Live Baby Baby Live on well, the show. Did you see that? Uh, they probably did it both ways, but mm. uh, they uh, literally were playing songs off uh, the live album, but also B for the very avid listeners. There were songs that were playing mm-hmm. technically off the live album, but they weren't quite the same songs on the live they album. They weren't, no. No, the Never Terrace Part One sounded a bit different, and so did the uh, What think... You Need. The What You Need one was different. Um, can, can I? just ask you Hayden because I don't know if my ears were deceiving me but did Michael actually say the p word in that what you need yeah did he go yes and we're talking we're talking the feline variety aren't we yeah he did didn't he because that what didn't make it to the last I've never heard that before (laughs) I, yeah. I thought, who can I speak to without being really vulgar? <laughs> I know. I listened to it today and I was going, hang he on. He did say it, didn't but, uh, but I think there were a couple about, of versions yeah. they played. There weren't, yeah, there weren't technically off the official live album there, but mm. um, the Suicide Blonde one was different. Um, mm-hmm. That one yeah. had real harmonica being played. So yeah. um, overall, though, both Tim and Kirk were, I guess, acknowledging Fun. the notion <laughs> of the 30-year live album and uh, was mm. uh, definitely a case for Media Wars submission, B. Oh yeah, absolutely. Bring it on. <laughs> what the, what the boy is going to come out with? John's got to have to coming out soon, surely. Well, all that aside, we are coming off uh, our in excess uh, part uh, part two last week, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, with uh, Andrew at the weekend. And Mark but mm. but uh, I was going to ask you how your in excess week has been. But time of recording, it's a bit like they're all blurring into one big week, isn't it? Hayden, I think we speak every day now, don't we? There's always something going on. I must say, I did have a chance to sort of uh, listen back last night as a fan to episode two, and I must give kudos to to Andrew there, who at the end of the episode talked a bit about sort of bursting their own bubble as a band in the sense that they didn't want to be stadium rockers. And I thought the episode ended in a really sort of nice uh, sort of timing fashion before we hit uh, the third part, B. 
Thank you. Yes, I thought it was quite a punch to um, to end on. So, and it was a note that I wanted to it to linger a bit for everyone to yeah. really digest because there's yeah. so many people that go out there and they have their own opinions, but it's so good to hear Andrew's opinion and yeah. really punch it out to people. So, yeah, I hope you all have a listen to that one. Well, when we get into the topic today and get them on, we might do a little quick little preamble to that and. Uh, uh, elaborate a bit but um yeah we managed I, to get our uh, ovation into him oh we did yes yes uh, i think uh, uh and it was a bit scared there for a while so what's happening here you're all standing up but uh uh we were able to uh pass on our thanks for that particular track and uh i guess educate him about the plans well, uh, over his, the next four months it's his own fault it did say they're going to manipulate us so i thought i would <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's really interesting. I think at the time we said we will go back and edit and move some songs around and things like that, but we really just kept it pretty uh, in order of recording, yeah. haven't we, for the sake mm. of just uh, the experience of, for the listeners. Um, and did you uh, like the version that I uh, chose to play communication? out on? Yes. Yes, I did. Do you, know, do you know, that was off one of the live tracks, the bonus tracks off one of the CD singles, is that right? It was, that was, yeah. But it was just like, yeah, tingling, wasn't it? I was yeah. a real in tingling mood for that one. Loved it. Yeah. I hope Look, you really I, enjoyed I, it. And I guess, you know, for that album, what we went into last week, we really got a chance to get really nitty gritty within sort of side one. I think, I don't think we actually got quite to all around, which we'll probably flip into this week, but mm-hmm. uh uh, we really were able to get some real sort of interesting insights on a lot of side A and um, a little bit of discussion about you know overall the album and things, which was which was awesome and even even sort of preluded into Full Moon Dirty Hearts with what Andrew had to say. Oh, actually, I forgot to tell you, I, I went to the shops at well, you know, actually, I went out and got some chocolate earlier, didn't you? Because you did? we had a chat. Yep. And when I went in, I actually videoed it. The stairs was playing. Huh? The live version. Um, was it the live version? Oh, you talking about Live Baby Live Triple M today, or you actually about- it was probably yeah, that's what they yeah. were doing. Oh, silly yeah. me! Yeah, they were playing <laughs> it in the shops as I walked in. Well, yeah, yeah. So you know, I heard it on the radio today. I, I pumped it up going down the, mm. the highway, and I felt. Uh, yeah, I felt, uh, you know, fist in the air. I've got some video footage of it. I'm going to post it to the patrons, Billy. Are oh, you? Yeah. What are you dancing? Well, a bit out of dance in the car. With, Did you sorry, have your liver pants so, on? Sorry, sorry, police, with a phone in my left hand and a steering wheel on my right. But uh, <laughs> no police listen to this show, do they? No, uh, never. No, the phone was Only cradling. Katie. It was cr- <laughs> the phone was cradling, just aimed particularly at uh, Triple M. But uh, I will post a little bit of that stuff. You um, do know that, don't you, that aside, What's that? That Katie, our patron, is a police lady. Oh, but she's English. Is, is yeah, that right? you're, so she'll let you off. <laughs> we got some statute of, of geography limitations or whatever. <laughs> Just, I think okay. you're right All there. Right. But I will be sort of ask you, now, I can't go without it. How has your sort of in excess sort of week been overall? Has there been anything else that has come across your desk? Um, anything else oh, besides everything else? <laughs> um, you, did well, you show me before this episode today? And we'll probably announce this later. Oh, I showed some... you my box. <laughs> Yes, and you showed me your collection too uh, of Timmy's box. Uh, Timmy's and, box. I've got Timmy's box. It well, was in my lap. We are today, and we will announce this at the end of the episode, we have probably got one of the rarest items on the planet of in excess mm. items that is going to be auctioned next. Yeah. So this is a collector's dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, we aim to hopefully get this signed off by some good people as we yeah. get confirmation. Even though it's from Timmy already, 
yeah. we are going to get extras on top. Correct. But this is one of the rarest items on the planet as we speak. This would make Pedro and David Gaunt, okay, uh, have an epiphany and keel over in joy. So um, hang right to the end of the episode today because we will reveal what that auction item is. That aside, B, uh, Pedro and Dave and everybody who are great patrons, it is that time when we like to welcome those who make this possible, and that's our patrons. So over to you. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary patrons, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams, and... Mary Woods, Sudi, Joe Robbins, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie Ann, Danielle, Sarah Markham, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Felicia, Lisa Mack, Lisa Urban, Lisa Calloway, Anne Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Vern, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Paul Boozy, Paul Buckley, Paul Bridges, Sandrine, Warren, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, John, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, Ace, Bard, Genevieve, Ali, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Leanne, and Peter. Welcome to the party, everybody. Welcome. the patients there be and i think just one other thing we would like to announce is that kirk very kindly donated a very very select few plectrums that he uses as a guitarist and these are from his vault um so they're personally from kirk's collection uh the next five patrons who do become well patrons on board we will actually add these into your welcome pack as a little bit of a thank you and a bit of a special for for joining us on the uh journey to get this band into the rock hall of fame so if you're sitting on the fence and you would like to uh, or contemplate about being a patron, why not grab one of you know Kirk's uh, little little plectrums from his uh, personal collection and join us on the journey. So that'll be a cool initiative, B. So that's the next five, Hayden, yes? Next five patrons, yeah. I'll write that down. All right, B, what's it time for now? Time for the news. Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. Well, B, as I'm about to announce the news, uh, Melbourne's weather couldn't be cold, it couldn't be wet, it couldn't be drearier, but the birds are chirping. So uh, hello to Laurie's cat uh, in case Mr. Jingles uh, decides to, uh, you know, raise his head again about the bird noises. But anyway, chart news. Uh, B, we had a little bit of a reprieve last week. The album uh, Very Best Off came back into the top 50, which was exciting. It yeah. landed at 50. And... and this week, it's actually moved out of the charts. Oh, again. far out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, maybe we could be lobbying Live Baby Live or we could lobby Welcome or, you know, Very Best Off. But come on, people, uh, this, this cannot run out of steam. So do yourself a favour. As earlier discussed, Media Wars, Kirk and Tim, we did t- talk about that. And uh, equally, I think throughout this particular week, there's been quite a lot of articles uh, about the, the live Baby Live album. And uh, 
Undercover Music have a great article. Um, it's a great publication, actually, under, Undercover Music as a platform. But it talks about how NXS gave London a night to remember. Yay. So that's the, the browser search. If you put yeah. that in, you will get a great article and a great deep dive into the concert. Also, too, in terms of Gig Watch, and speaking of Live Baby Live, the boys from that particular cover band are going to be playing at the Bradford Hotel, which is uh, on the 18th of December, uh, which I think is in Rutherford in New South Wales. Uh, they're going to be in Gosford, uh, I think, at the races on the 29th of December. And actually, at the start of December, they're going to be in Adamstown. So they've got three pretty big gigs throughout sort of mm. regional sort of New South Wales. So uh, if you are a bit of a fan of in excess live music, go see the Live Baby Live guys. Mm-hmm. New Sensation, uh, a band we talked a little bit about uh, a few podcasts ago who I've been in contact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are going to be playing in the new year, 8th of January, in Atlanta. Uh, so if you're in that sort of southern area of America and uh, you want to see the, the New Sensation guys, they will be playing there. John Stevens, I think I posted on the, oh. the Patreon platform. He's just had a relaunch. Jeez. Uh, he's actually announced 64. 66. 66 is, yeah, gigs. So I think maybe there's a fair portion of those have been rescheduled gigs from COVID, but there's a mm. bunch of new ones. Mm. Uh, and he's playing all of the sort of in excess slash noiseworks material. And I had a couple of ones I mentioned down here, but I thought, well, it's just better to get onto his site or go onto yeah. our platforms. Mm. We might post it somewhere on uh, our, our platforms as I've well. I've already put it onto our Facebook, but I can uh, put okay. it onto our Instagram as yeah, well. Yeah, good so they're call. probably throughout Australia and New Zealand, obviously, but mm. um, we do have a good list. Will you go, Hayden? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, think, I'm definitely think, going. He's coming to Coffs again. A, a bevy of places that around Australia and New Zealand he's going to, and I think uh, uh, you're probably hearing one of the better exponents of uh, in excess music. And... Uh, he also, during the week, I think, uh, as you mentioned a few weeks ago, B was out there promoting sort of live music with uh, National T-Shirt Day. Yes, which, that's coming. Uh, which no. is coming up on the 19th of yes. uh, November, which is probably just come and gone as we release this podcast. As we're talking, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting, you know, in terms of that. He, you know, it's been on, I think it was on 3RW, which is one of the big stations throughout the week. You can download uh, in your browser John Stevens 3AW uh, National T-Shirt Day. And he speaks to Tom Allard a bit about that. Your favourites, B, the Don't Change Boys. I've got a date here, December 2 in Newcastle. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, probably. Yep. Yeah, they do uh, that every year, that yeah. one. Yeah, so mm. they'll be uh, so heading down there, which is uh, which is great. And uh, it's not far away. It's only about three, three, three weeks away. So uh, if that. So uh, if you are in that region, do yourself a favour. Mm-hmm. And also, B, I found a podcast uh, this particular week. It was really interesting to actually listen to. It was a guy and a girl talking about in excess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't us. Okay. No. Oh. Now, in excess podcast. In fact, I think it got born out of sort of cold chisel originally with Jimmy Barnes. Right. I have gone on to review all iconic Australian albums like Kick and oh. you know, Works, Business as Usual and a whole lot of things. Yeah. But there's a duo, a guy called Matt and a girl called Sam, and I think it's called Listen Now with Matt and Sam. And they Aussies. Do a, yeah, yeah, they ah. do a kick. They do a kick review, but uh, it was a great listen. It goes for about just over an hour. They sort of do a deep dive on the band and mm-hmm. then go into each track and give a bit of a view of things. But it was one of the better kick review type things okay. I've heard, and they do more of a band bio. So we're never one to sort of own the total in excess space. You know, the no. more podcasts out there, the yeah. more discussion, the better. Mm. Sorry, um, what was their names again? Matt. Uh, well, it's, it's called Listen Now with Matt and Sam. They're cousins, actually. It's not Matt Marsland, is it? No, no. No. 
No, um, not at all. So they're cousins. And and look, he, he, he probably is a little bit less versed on music. She is excellent. Like her, her attention to detail. Uh, I think she had me when she said she loves the stairs. Uh, <laughs> so, but she was just excellent the way she puts it across, the depth of knowledge uh, and stuff like oh, that. Uh, if you ever want to get rid of me, B, yeah. you've got a good co-host who can come and join you. Yeah, right, or, or vice versa. <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that to you. All right. Um, I thought of it, but I didn't think it was fair to say. But, yeah, look, uh, again, the podcast world is full of some great things out there. And I think, you know, during COVID times and whatever, they, you know, as, as we've experienced, they've been a, a joy to a lot of people. But I, I do encourage listeners to, to check this one out. Outside that, B, that's the news of the week. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and NXS fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Chapter three, the third in our trilogy uh, with Andrew and Mark. And look, I'm really excited about finishing off uh, our deep dive with this particular one because we really do sort of explore just the sort of legacy of this album and the sort of the remaining tracks and things. As we said earlier, you know, uh, Andrew, interestingly, as you edited at the last of, uh, well, at the end of last week's episode, talked about, oh, a lot of people thought Inexus, you know, you know, quietened off and weren't as big and blah, blah, blah. And he sort of said, well, no. We just didn't want to be continual stadium rockers, you know, creating just a almost like train. a business venture. Mm. I mean, effectively, you're saying I want to be an artist again, yes. and I don't want to be a gravy train creator. Mm-hmm. And it was really compelling listening because I remember at the time they had this expression about, "Oh, we burst our own bubble," and they had a bit of a joke about it. But in serious terms, what they decided to do, which probably contrary to Mark and a few of us at the time, we were like, "Oh, why don't they tour, welcome things?" But they just wanted to be musicians again. It's it's interesting. If you compare the bigger bands of the era around that time, you know, U2, you know, Bon Jovi, you know, REM, some of these ones, they did get caught in that is an album, three years, tour, a year, another album, fourth, fourth year later. You know, they got caught. And, and even to this day, U2 was still stuck on this stadium rock thing. You know, U2 have never really gone back and sort of done a club show very rarely, no, you know, et cetera yeah. there. And I remember Michael at the time saying, it's great to be able to smell each other again, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah. Because they were that much closer to each other and they could sort of be a band. And, you know, we'll talk a little about the touring of this album in some of the smaller clubs and pubs that they sort of did. Yes. But it was compelling listening last week, hearing about Andrew say, well, you know, no, we we determined our trajectory and we just didn't want to be doing the stadium thing, which we knew would sell more records. We knew it would create probably more you know, money and things, but they chose the artistry versus the commerce. And I think that's ultimately what I, I took away from listening to your edit there, B. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we continue really with that discussion and it's Mark coming back with his uh, response. But yeah. later on, there's some nice parts where Andrew talks about Michael and yeah. the Elegantly Wasted Tour as well. Yeah. So that's that's interesting to us to yeah. know that they, at the end of the day, they were family family on the road there were a lot of gypsies well, I think but the, the other thing family. too one of the things that came across is that you make decisions uh, at the day based on the information you have and mm. i think you know they're probably excited to do full moon you know and then go out with the, the two albums and then michael had his accident 
between Welcome and Full Moon. So there mm. were certain some restrictions and limitations as to yeah. where they were planning and what they could do. So, but look, you know, far be it from us to waffle on. We, we will yeah. uh, go to uh, episode three and we hope you enjoyed as much as people. And we'd like to welcome back Andrew Ferris and Mark Opus. from a record company and a sales point of view. When Welcome to Wherever You Are, stage technology had just got to a whole new point. Yeah. I know that you guys were tired. I know that you'd been touring and touring and touring and you and you had families, which is more important than anything. Sure. But, but, but from a commercial point of view, if you guys had toured Welcome on a world tour, not only could have had the killer songs from that, but you had a wealth of other killer songs. Yeah. And that would have put Welcome through the roof. I think people would have understood Welcome, particularly in America. They got it in England, obviously, and Europe. But in America, they would have got it a bit more, you know, and I think aside to throw in. But the thing I, is- I think you're right, Mark, but I, can add, I, got to, I wanted to add something that was because a very serious comment. There's something with a sense of humour. I remember we played a short series of shows somewhere in the United States and it, it was to about three or 4,000 people. And Michael Stipe, who, you know, liked yeah. NSS, he wanted to come and say hello. And he came back to the dressing room area. And I'm staying there and, I, you know, I've got no trousers on because I'm getting changed after the gig. And, and he, he came back to say hello. I go, can you get out of here, mate? Because, like, you know, I'm getting dressed, you know. And Michael goes, don't, Hutchins said, don't you know who that is? And I said, not really. Some bloke coming in where I got my trousers off, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it was kind of weird because then I, I thought, oh, God, you know, I have to go talk to Michael and tell him I'm so sorry. And, you know. But, I've got my trousers on now. <laughs> that's right. You know, but I'm just saying, like, you know, there's sort of that whole touring thing. You're right. Because people would take it on a whole other level or not. It was so tiring. Yeah. Even if we had jets and everything, it was still tiring. They just the, needed a gear shift. As yeah. an outsider's point of view, not as an insider's point of view, as an outsider's point of view, it's such a pity we couldn't do that album, that's all. The technology that was available to have these amazing stages which for this amazing music because the technology was there for, had just arrived. It's Europa, Europa, you look what you two did. You know, with, with their stage technologies. I think the other thing that I've mentioned throughout the narrative of the podcast series is that it's, it's just bloody harder for an Australian act with the tyranny of distance yeah. exactly. to, to maintain that in national tour. I mean, for you two guys... You two guys, their back garden is Europe. And then, yeah. you know, six hours to America, they, they can be back and forth on the weekends. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. I mean, I, I, and I yeah. agree with that. That's the whole point, you know, because your family is more important than touring. In the end, it, it just is. And your own life and, and how you relate to yourself and to your friends and your family is much more important. It wasn't all jet planes and there was buses and cars and around America for a long, long, long time before the X tour came along, it started to get a little more comfortable. If you hadn't had the, the planes on the X tour, they would have collapsed. And so they really needed to take that break anyway. It was just such a pity. It was, yeah. I mean, my dad, my dad used to say, 
to me at one point during those long tours we used to do uh, in the early years, you know, what, what do you guys do all the time, you know? Um, so our dad, we play music and we chase girls around, drink beer. He says, sounds like being in the Navy. Says, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, um, but I think, you know, the, you know, the first tour we ever did in the United States in 1983, I think we played in San Francisco and then we drove too far because we were trying to cut costs and whatever, didn't want to stay in a hotel, so we all slept in the bus and the bus ran off the road in Akron, Ohio, and it was snowing outside and we almost hit a big storm concrete uh, bridge. That would have been the end of the band, you know. Um, most people don't know that the bus nearly turned over on its side. There's 14 guys in this bus and it was filling up with diesel and it was ice and snow outside. So you've got your underpants or worse or not on, you know, and you run outside uh, and you're staying in a fucking freezing cold um, where a state trooper pulls up, you know, he throws the bus driver up against the bus and says, you know, what, what the fuck do you think you're doing with all these people? Someone goes, oh, come on, mate. And he goes, and, and you, enough of this mate shit up against the bus. So you're up there, you're up there. <laughs> I'm just saying all that stuff that we used to do in the early years, you know, I look and I read things that, that people will say about the band and, and things that they, they have no idea, no idea, the years and months. But to come back to what Mark says is the missing factor in this conversation is you're not on holiday and you're not with your family exactly. and your friends. You're with the same people day in and day out for months on end. And then the defining factors, you come back to Australia, like you were talking about Hayden with the tyranny of distance and you look around at other acts and they can look at you and they say, well, we don't have to do that. We're just going to put out a record and become hugely successful. And you sit there and you know, you've just spent three or four years of your life, giving away all that time with your friends and family. And you think about what they're saying to you and you go, that's very interesting. And at the same time, you go, now I know why ACDC was so huge because that's what it takes. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Having worked with ACDC and being part of that era, mm. they toured they the only other band, maybe Midnight Oil, but they were the only other band that toured relentlessly before they had a hit, they just toured and toured and toured. And I remember walking into Atlantic's offices one day and they were starting to sell albums. This is even before Black and Black and I was with the head of A&R in New York at Atlantic. And I said, wow, great building, the Rockefeller Plaza. And they said, yeah, yeah, we're lucky to get the rent. And I said, oh, who pays the rent? He said, ACDC, they pay the rent. Their stuff just keeps going and going and going, you know. It's sure. interesting on the uh, Wikipedia page within Excess, they talk about the three greatest Australian selling acts in America and overseas and globally. It's it's obviously ACDC, the BGS, and NXS. And you know the BGS, you know, well, a little river band should be in there. Everyone's forgotten about them. But no, I'm just talking about the the highest selling acts. But the BGS yeah. packed up in the late '60s and went back to England. ACDC targeted the UK, and NXS targeted the US. And and you're right, there was it was just elbow grease. Mm. And and relentlessness and the old Chris adage, I think, if we're not touring, we're recording. We're not recording. We're 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 promoting. We're not promoting. We're rehearsing. It was a it was a juggernaut. And I think you used the words in early '92, Andrew, that we're going to burst our own bubble and we'll do our own gigs and be a bit more selective in how we will go about it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's very cheap journalism, I think, for a lot of the critics at the time to go, oh well, you know, the, um, this album sort of went backwards to this level, but you actually designed it. Um, it would have been nice the album to, and we and look, maybe it's a time now to talk about the record company in America, how they treated the album, they what they released, how they went about it. But we we just felt that maybe you were based in the UK, you're putting more time there. But the American label, I think, 
I think as a fan, let the band down with this album. Maybe they didn't know how to market it. They just thought that touring was going to get it done. Exactly. They didn't have a tour. That's exactly it. And so once there's no, because they're used to that. In America, big record companies like that, new album means tour. Mm. Doesn't Andrew. It just automatically means new album means tour. If you're a band of any size, you don't do an album without a tour. The, the record company wants to make the money back, for God's sake. Yeah, know? that's right. And, and Mark, when you were saying before about, you know, it would have been great if In Excess had toured Welcome. I agree with you. I think we would, band would all agree with you with that. But at the same time, I think that we had set out very originally to do not just Welcome to VR and then sit around and do nothing all day. We'd set out to then record another album very quickly after. So that way we could have gone out on the road and taken two albums worth of, of material with us and had a huge thing. Like that was what we were thinking. But unfortunately, Michael hurt himself. Yeah. And none of us could see that coming. Yeah. So, in, no. you know, in, in hindsight, which is easy enough to say yeah. now, but at the exactly. time we were trying to do something unusual. And that is one thing I would say is that, you know, for in excess is one of the things that, I think unlike, you know, because I'm a big fan of ACDCs, always have been. In Excess is a very different group of people, uh, very different music, and that's okay. Um, you know, they're just polarised. You know? Yeah, different people and whatever. But I was going to say that, you know, um, I go to ACDC concerts when they, I love them, fantastic. But I was going to say that I think for In Excess, I think it really felt to me that, like I was trying to say before with, with uh, Not Enough Time, is that having these songs that weren't sort of necessarily uh, dependent on, uh, how can I put it, um, what was fashionable stadium rock at the time or whatever, you simply, you know, you can't, I mean, I heard Hayden and B on, on when they were talking about Welcome to VR referring a little bit to some of it was with Beatlesque. I, I only noticed that myself when I, I sat down and listened to the album, okay, what was this album really all about? And I was listening to it and going, Hmm. You know, there were elements of that that were a bit, whether it was... Mark Let or, me cut in. Not Enough Time is Hey Jude, song structure. But but I'm, I've always loved that song. I think, you know, I always, uh, always loved that song. I did, um, yeah. I can't believe that my brothers and I met the Beatles when we were little kids. Yeah. That's pretty surreal. Um, it's incredible. Tim told us that story, yeah. yeah. Um, very strange. And I think that whatever's happened... Um, without sounding, you know, <laughs> trying to sound like Yoda or the Dalai Lama, I think whatever's unfolded and happened was just meant to. I'd like to say a lot of it was all, you know, cleverly designed and, you know, like consciously, you know, operated on and all the rest of it. But as Mark had said before, a lot of what we were doing was often at the spur of the moment. We're doing this now. We're in the now. We're in the now. And, you know, as we're talking to each other in 2021, what was in the now back in 1991 or 1992 was very different. You know, we, we, we talk for an hour and a half every week about you guys and we cover some interesting areas. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. No, 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 it's fine. Mark, Mark oh, would probably uh, realise this. I mean, we, we, we always looked at, I've called it a bit of the second album lift. I think you two, did, uh, they had the lift with Uktong Baby and, and got that second wave of a career yeah. thing. And I think yeah. I think REM got it with really two in a row without a time, then automatic for the people. And yeah. when you get that second international album that sort of goes bonkers, I think Green Day had it with yeah. Dookie and then American Idiot. You get that second album that mm. hits the zeitgeist again. It's amazing sort of how uh, relevance and pertinence and critics sort of look at things differently. But I think what was pleasing about this album, Welcome, was the critics did get it, you know, especially in the UK that had been very hard on the band. So that must have been very satisfying for you at the time. 
Sure. Well, I can remember, I think I, I, it might have been um, on Shabu Shabar, which, uh, you know, we all love that album, still do. You know, Americans loved it. But the British media said something like, um, <laughs> in excess, they're crap and they're Australian. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that's okay because, um, you know. In you got to remember that only one person saying that. Yes. Well, that, yeah, that, that, that's right. But yeah. all I'm saying is that, that you're right. That for many of the, the big, big, big acts in the world, you know, have had long, long, long careers and did stadiums and that. They always had a, you're right, Hayden. A lot of them had a, what I call a rebound where they, at first, oh, yeah, they're pretty good. You know, next minute, you know, that's the end of them. And But then they came back again. That's that second time around. But I think for an excess, or I just want to say it's ironic because, and I know I could be wrong, but I've noticed in the last 10 years, especially since NXS stopped touring and stopped actually just, you know, trying to, you know, do whatever we were doing and, and just sat back. You know, I've never seen more interest in the band than ever, actually. Yeah. Now. I know. I know. Um, and it's very interesting to me that, you know, <laughs> the, the only the, But the you have carried on nothing. With- you know, well, I think I think in excess we never want to blow blow their own trumpet. You came back from Wembley and we didn't have the internet and it might have been a two-minute excerpt on the news, Andrew. You know, you didn't come yeah. back and blow your own trumpet. And thank God through the production of Mark and all the stuff that David Mallet did and Chris and the money into it, we have that as a legacy mm. piece. But but in excess we're sort of I always thought we were pretty humble about not blowing their own trumpet. And uh, the miniseries, I think, told Australians who had not really known the story as detailed as it was, just how hard you went. And I think there's there's definitely a zenith that from that miniseries in 2014, sort of February, it, it was like a new beginning. And I think there's been a reappreciation, you're right, and, and a new narrative, which has been great. If I can just add one more thing, because uh, I really appreciate what you said. I do. I really I get that and I appreciate it. But I think there's something else too, and it comes to probably back to Welcome to Who You Are more than any other album, and probably Kick, the two of those albums in particular. But within the space of uh, around about 2011, within the space of three months, I had three individual conversations, one with, with Rob Thomas from Matchbox 20, one was with Brandon Flowers from The Killers, and one was with Pat Monaghan from Train. And I'm a fan of those guys and their bands and, you know, fantastic, amazing, clever people. And But all three of them had said in separate occasions to me that of all the bands, our band influenced that generation of people much more than we realise. And I thought, oh, really? You know, <laughs> you know, because if I read like a punter or a consumer, what the media said, said about us over the years, I'm like, well, you know, it's not very good, is yeah, it? You know, yeah. but that's not what these bang people were saying to me. So I was like, well, well, this is bizarre because I'll say this, I think the second wave that you were talking about may have come around but not by us. It's by the people that may have been listening to may have been listening to what we were doing yeah. and then reinterpreting going, you know what, what those guys were onto was very interesting at the time. And thanks to people that like day. you. Mm. And thanks to people like you, a, yeah. a great example of it. I mean, yeah. you both of you have uh, thought enough of this music to bring it to life like you've done. With yeah. So Andrew's totally right. You know what's really interesting, Andrew, and I know we've mentioned this to Kirk the other week and Kirk said he has a Google alert for anything in excess, which I thought was really cool. But to actually consolidate what you've said, the amount of bands it, ranging from Arcade Fire through to, you know, the killers who have covered in excess songs. I mean, Springsteen must, you know, when he came yeah. out and did the song in, in Sydney, must have been absolutely 
filled you with pride. You know, Tommy Morello's on there. It was fantastic. And it was on the radio the other day. I thought I was I had so much pride and hearing the boss sing Don't Change. I mean, you know, that is almost exactly what you're saying, which I think is really, really accurate. Yeah, what a great version that is. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I don't feel any anxiety about, you know, that NXS never had a big stadium, you know, comeback or whatever. That doesn't bother me at all. I am grateful for all the success that they have ever had. I give my utmost appreciation to all the people, especially such as Mark and other record producers, Chris Thomas, Nile Rogers, you know, um, particular, um, Bruce Furbin, who sadly passed away. Duncan McGuire in the very first album he ever made, Richard Clapton, you know, yeah. Nick Launay, you know, all these people, all you know, and the engineers and all, all the people, Chris Murphy as a manager for all those years, who would put his balls on the line for the band and do all these crazy things that other people just would never dream of doing. I mean, you know, he, you know, I think within Australia, you know, uh, he, Chris probably had a terrible, you know, reputation amongst us and other people who were very vocal about what they did or didn't like about him. Um, but I think he was also the kind of guy that the, the reason you were talking about an act as successful as in excess is because he had the kind of gumption and the wherewithal to do things that other people would frighten other people. Uh, he would be able to walk into you know the top story level of a ceo's office in say in, in new york in you know rockefeller plaza and say you need to sign this band and and you've got to get on with it uh, that kind of you know yeah. attitude is like sorry what did you just say you know um <laughs> you know that and 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 not be necessarily arrogant about it just matter of fact and, mm-hmm. I, and I think that respect that he earned not necessarily from within australia but from corporate level in the united states and england is unsurpassed Back story about chris walking to doug morris's office and playing in what you need, you know? Yeah. And then pulling out a copy of the band's current contract and just ripping it up. It's like, <laughs> let's start again, shall we? After playing what you need. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, what you need, you know, was a huge game changer in every, you know, every way. I, and, and I remember Chris Murphy calling me at home, telling me it's, you know, top five in the United States. And he said, how do you feel about that? This is back in 1985 or whenever it was. And, and I'm like, how do I feel about that? And at first I was like, oh, wow, you know. Um, and then I, I, I hung up the phone and said, thank you for calling. I hung up the phone and I felt really weird. I felt very anxious about it. And I thought, why on earth do I feel like that? You know, and then I called. Because you've got to come up with a follow-up. That's right. <laughs> and I called Michael and I said, are you, how do you feel about this? And he said, oh, I think I'm the same as you. I, my God, what do we do next? I said, well, exactly. exactly. And that was where, why, if people are ever wondering where Kick came from, it was that insecurity and anxiety probably for Michael and I as songwriters. It really tested us. It was like, all right, you think you're pretty clever, you fellas. What are you going to do next, <laughs> you know? And, and that was really, really that kind of thing, you know, it, it really tests you as a person. I mean, but to get back to not enough time, the part that Mark was talking about were at crescendos later on. And then I, you know, I learned piano when I was nine, but I was a precocious little shit. And I told my piano teacher that I didn't want to learn just, you know, you know, I want to learn how to put chord structures together. She should have said to me, look, shut up, son, and play the piano. Okay. But, you know, 
but she listened to me and so she would start to show me um how harmony worked you know you got an a minor works with a c major all that kind of stuff and i was a little kid and i'm going oh okay so i probably skipped about 10 years of of knowledge of what i should have been at because i said i want to play a lot of modern pop music that i hear on the radio i don't just want to learn classical music i want to and she said, well, you need to understand how harmony works. And so that opened a door for me. And I didn't even realize when I was a young teenager, what was actually happening to me was besides pulling my uncle's piano apart, which he gave to me many years later, probably because I wrecked it. But anyway, <laughs> and, 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 uh, but I still have that piano now. I got it refurbished, beautiful, it plays great. Or she showed me this teacher that harmony worked musically. When it came to that passage in Not Enough Time where it needs to build, it was that kind of knowledge of how to scale it so you had the climbing of it in that classical sense was only from her being able to explain to me because all those sorts of things are like classical and uh, what they call a you know statement response where and all these sort of terms that but when you're when you're a rock guy or a pop artist you know you you see it over and over again the limitations of someone's musical knowledge hit the wall because they get to a point and they have a hit or whatever. And then it's like, well, what do you got next? You know? And they're like, um, the same as last time. (laughs) That was it. You know, they don't have anything else, you know, because they've reached, you know, whatever it was where they were heading. And I think within the band, within an excess, like Mark was saying, you know, Kirk's vocals, I think were underused. I think even my brother, John, so in mine, um, even, you know, Tim and, and, and Gary and Kirk and Michael, all of the guys, you know, um, John, myself included, we really did, talking about deep diving into ourselves, we knew that we had to, you know, not play games, but to go like, who's got the best idea? What's something we haven't thought of yet? What about if we do this? And what about if we do that? And it's those abilities to do those things that I think make some of those tracks unlocking album turns 30 next year and we think that we would like to get this album have a bit of a resurgence and then next year is the 25th anniversary unfortunately of Michael's passing so between the sort of August and November period next year we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're starting a little bit of a, a podcast patron slash uh, listener fun thing where we're getting uh, everyone to buy not enough time and get it back in the charts next year oh, and wow. give it a life in Australia because That's what right. you may not know is that it was released in America as the sleep single and it went 28. But in Australia, they've tagged it on the back of Taste It as a double A side here. So I never really quite got the traction here that, say, Taste It got on the radio. So we think this is a bit of a lost gem song that a lot yes. of the fans could rediscover. And with digital streaming and things, it's not difficult to get a song recharting these days. I think you saw the band on the back of the miniseries have about five or six of your songs go back into the ARIA charts combined sure. with the albums, you know? Yeah. So we have a bit of a push this time next year. Well, that, I think that's fantastic. Great idea. Uh, one thing I would just on personal sort of note, it's different for me as a fan of an artist and they may have passed away or tragically or whatever, or just, you know, passage of time. But I can speculate all I like, but when they're a family member or they're a very close friend of yours, 
there's a whole other context that comes into play. For me, I like to think of Michael's birthday as the day I like to celebrate because I think there's far too much emphasis on, you know, what may have been a tragic demise of his life and not enough emphasis on the cheeky, funny, talented guy that he was. And there needs to be more celebration of that in my personal view. Yeah. I get that. But also that it's welcome to wherever you are is turning 30 years. So we were yeah. hoping that the record company would re-release a version or re-release a, a new, another copy of Welcome that we could push as well. So it was more that and it was just not enough time down like yeah. not, not enough time. Yeah. And it's just that it ironically it happened around the same time as that it's going to be 20 years, 25 years of Michael passing away. But sure. um, I, I mean, get that because I don't want to talk about a sad day, really. Anyway. We want to we want to sort of uh, accelerate uh, the band into the Rock Hall of Fame. You guys haven't been nominated yet, uh, which, uh, again, if you were uh, based out of America, you would have been nominated 15 years ago. Um, you can humbly not add to the desire. But we, we did say to Tim on the episode, you know Def Leppard are in, don't you? You know Bon Jovi. And he goes, what? Cure. You know? And then he was like, the cure in we were bigger than the cure so the go goes uh, nancy about that <laughs> you know go goes and nominated this weekend they're going in after about three hits and you know so we'll look you don't have to comment on our sort of disdain for the voting process but we are see, seeking some justice on this department i think mark probably knows that yeah i, I can i can i say that i first of all you know rallying you know all this or all of our catalog and, and welcome to view on what, what you're doing you know thank you uh, it's amazing into all around um maybe we'll throw it over to you uh, andrew first tell us about all around i did listen to what you had thought of the song it's probably if we'd been in a band together it would never have been on the record um, because you obviously didn't you know take to it i'm, I'm comparing um, yeah. strawberry fields to you know getting better here you know like i'm yeah. I'm, I'm like but this I, I small all i'll say all i'll say to that is again uh not just not so much to try and justify the song but to say you have to imagine what it's like to be releasing welcome to have you are and you're standing say in a a well-known restaurant or a you know public place sort of grunge era and there's or there's you know um bands of that era and some of the members of bands like that are coming to your record launch and you're standing around with them and they love it because that is in its moment in time what they wanted to hear because that's what they were doing, you see. Mm -hmm. And all of that networking, if you like, and the only reason I'm saying all this is because we're in 2021 now, but back then that was the, what was happening, you know. We wanted tracks on the record that you, you could take onto a small stage in a, in a pub or a club and we go, oh, we can really rock to this, you know. Um, and, and and I think that was really what the song's about. And also, quite frankly, I really like Michael's vocal in All Around. I think it's fantastic, by the way. Yeah. 
Mm. I, I love the song. It's Hayden that doesn't like it. No, no, I'm talking it was a six I know, out of ten I'm joking. on my criteria I'm, list. Like, I'm dipping, like, dipping you. I mean, I'm doing standing ovations earlier in this episode, so, like, we're talking small margins here. So, um, but You wouldn't let me put it on great. my Spotify list, though, would you? You rotter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you, I think you debuted that sort of really live at the concert for life, didn't you? I think so. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I, I think with I think with all around, I like the way that Mark also allowed me to put far too much Leslie across my guitar effect. I think, um, and there was other things, production things. I think that we're going on. I love the drum sound too in it, come to think about it. And we're not talking uh, Leslie guitar instrument, we're not talking John's wife at the time, are we? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> that, <laughs> See, I think you're getting a, a new bit musical term. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I'm not going to go there. I was talking oh. about a, a Leslie cabinet that has yeah. two speakers that rotate sure. in it and you get a pedal and you can speed it up or slow it down. There you go. Was anything marked particular for you with the production on this that you remember? Not really. It's just more that just taking risk wherever we could, you know, not trying not for the bleeding obvious. So looking for new things, looking for different ideas, but stuff that we're, we're capable of doing within our unit, you yeah. know, our, our family unit of in excess, if you will. Yeah. And as I said before, you know, Andrew was an easy target as well because he was there all the time, you know, and was so involved because he knew what was required. And so, yeah, it was great. You know, Andrew, you know, the organ, I want to use guitar to a Leslie. I want to do whatever, you know, whoever. I think in the interviews at the time, Andrew, you, you and Michael said that every song you really took each track to its absolute limit and didn't really mitigate or hold back. You, yeah. Every song was really sort of not compromised, go, you know. As far as we could go is where yeah. we took it. You yeah. know, and to say to its limit indicates that we knew the end. We didn't really know the end of a lot of songs. As I said earlier, I wasn't sure if some songs were finished or not, you know, because we were just, because our mindset was to try this, try that, not to go, let's go back to the structure that we've been following before or whatever. It was really, and and as I said, all these different elements, personal elements happening around the album. So, you know, a lot of things were forced into position in a way as well. I said on the Concert for Life episode a couple of weeks ago, it was probably the only real genuine time that you were able to get an orchestra out and play that sort of live for the first time for the occasion. And um, the recording of that, Mark, you mentioned on a previous episode was such a fantastic yeah. sort of uh, arrangement uh, with the way the band and, you know, everything was played live, you know. Well, can I just mention that the, the night before we did... Um the orchestra was coming in because and Andrew was working a lot with a guy called Mick Kenny, was in a band called Crossfire on the orchestral arrangements. And Mick actually did the actual uh flypaper, you know, he wrote all the charts and and did all that. So we knew it was happening and we knew the orchestra we were going to be using an orchestra, it was built for that, as I'd said earlier. So the night before we um we were in the studio. And there was a few guests in there. I even invited, I think, Richard Simpkin 
I even invited in. But I think I remember this one night, Richard might be so I'm wrong, I don't know. But we blew him in Baby Don't Cry rehearsals and also James Freud was there. Um, mm. I think uh, Martin Plaza or some a few, a few other musos had Sally Freud's wife and a few other people were, were hanging about. You know, Ben Mendelssohn might have been there as well as I think. Anyway, we ended up doing this really good version of, of Baby Don't Cry without the orchestra mm. as a backup to play the orchestra with the orchestra tomorrow. And then I got in the next morning before everyone else because we had an orchestral call, which is huge. If you ever know about having orchestras in the studio, it's massive. You've so many things you've got to take care of. And I, I thought about it on the way up and I went, went to the multi-tracks and I found what we'd recorded as our emergency take of Baby Don't Cry and I erased it. Oh, yeah. Never really? looked at this. Is this you? What are you doing? I said, I'm erasing a Baby Don't Cry, the version we did yesterday. And he said, why? He says, because I said, I'm really, really wanting to get this live with the bloody orchestra. You know, when you think about it, it's the way you've got to do it. You know, Frank Sinatra, every vocal he ever did was live to an orchestra. And that's why those vocals work. That's why those tracks have that magic. And so I was real keen to do that. And so I had the band set up, John in one room at the back, you know, the whole band in the massive control room that we had. I had another control room. Just, was just recording the orchestra, main control room recording the band and taking the feed of the orchestra. The whole band, including Michael, in, in this big control room which he looked overlooked the orchestra singing and doing that. Even my son had a keyboard <laughs> hooked up to Millie James. He did, didn't matter because it was just like what happened. But um, but the thing was that we, you know, it's just, just a big gamble. And then and we got into the first two takes and it just wasn't working, you know. Then we did a third take and it just, uh, it was okay. And then I said, oh, well, let's call a break, everyone. Let's just call a break. And I said to the band, mingle, just go mingle with the orchestra, just mingle, you know, and just build up some sort of empathy with them during, you know, coffee and cake or whatever it was, tea and cake. Because I had to have rostered break. That's the way orchestras work. And I was talking to the first violinist and she said to me, um, oh, why does the playback uh, tape change every time? It's really hard to get used to. And I said, it's not a playback tape. And I didn't realise that they didn't realise that the band was playing live. This was, oh, my God, how could they not know that, you know? You know, obviously my fault somewhere along the line. And I said, oh, no, you're gonna, that's the reason. It's, it's not a tape. The band's actually playing live. And the buzz went through that little where we were in the green room where we were having tea. Yeah, people, oh, pass playing live, pass playing live, pass playing live. Man, we went back into that studio and just nailed it. Just mm. once the orchestra knew, because they're so used to just playing to someone's, you know, pre-recorded stuff. Yeah. And once they knew that this was live, mm. it was it was insane that the level just. Was, I get goosebumps thinking about it. That level of intensity just went up this extra notch, you know. Yeah. And we recorded this whole thing live, just without going into the backstory of, of Andrew and his help, Mick Kenny and the orchestration and the little prelude that was on the front and all that sort of stuff. But just that whole thing of talk about trying pushing new boundaries, this was a pushing new boundary, yeah. playing with a band, with an orchestra, without any rehearsal. You know, just bang, straight in. And, you know, the funny thing, just, to, just as a side note, because for men and women, 
you know, we used the same on the same session date. We were did men and women, and Andrew, you may remember, and we started playing. There was one note wrong, and we could That's hear great. the whole orchestra playing. We go, where the hell is that coming from? And of course, it was all on fly paper, music paper. So we had no idea of going through all the charts and finding it. So we had to stop every section playing only first five. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Only seconds play. Oh, that's right. Only uh, in the woodwinds you play. Ah, there it is. There it is. I can hear it's in the winds. You know. Okay. Okay. Just forget the bass piccolo. You know. Whatever. You know, the flute stopped everyone else playing. Then we picked it on a piccolo player or something like that and had a had his fly paper, had the wrong note written on his, the only one, because all every bit of manuscript that they were playing from was not computer-generated. It was all handwritten. Oh. Those days you had to get people to write the sheets for everybody. Wow. And someone had put a semi-quaver on the line below instead of on the line it should have been on, wow. just one note. Sorry, that was just a little side note. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's great. It's good. What's your memories, Andrew? I do remember what Mark's talking about, and there was this hunt for the, you know, um, the wrong note going on. But I also remember that there was a tension, and a not bad tension, because, you know, the classical musicians, they're on a time frame, and it's expensive to have them all there, and they've got other lives and things going on that they're all you know, their lives and commitments or whatever. And so we had to, you know, get it right, you know, like you couldn't get it wrong, you know. That was where I remember sort of there's a pressure there that I think was healthy pressure, actually. Yeah. yeah. yeah we spent more time on, on Baby Don't Cry probably than, than men, men and women because of what had happened with the, you know, not knowing business. But once we got that, you're right, there was, we were pushed for time, but at least we had the orchestra on our side. How long yeah. were they there for? How many days were they there? One day. Yeah. So I've got some names down here. I'll throw them at you. I've got the Australian Concert Orchestra, Colin Piper, conductor, and Neil Sandbatch, engineer. Mike, yeah. Kenny, Kenny, Mike Kenny did arrangements with Andrew. Um, Mick, Mick Pardon? Mick Kenny. Mick Kenny, okay. Keyboard so, player from a band called Crossfire. Yeah. Philip Hartle, I think. Was, uh, Philip Hartle was, was the guy who was the orchestra. Yeah. All that got done, those two songs, everything in the can in one day. Yep. Wow. Amazing. I did wow. a bit of extra with Baby Don't Cry. Obviously, once it was done, I remember gathering everybody from all this, off this, anywhere, you know, who was around in the building or outside. <laughs> Baby Don't Cry. You know, <laughs> and if you didn't wipe the tape, Mark, we would have been, what, half a day? <laughs> no, I don't know. If it would have been a different thing, but the yeah. whole point of the whole record not just of that song, was to get the boundary pushed to, to where you could go. And I thought if you're going to do a song with an orchestra, and I take full blame. I was I was shitting bricks, mm. particularly, as you can imagine, after it wasn't working the first few takes, I've gone, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, I've, I've destroyed the backup copy and we can't get this anywhere near as good. And um, and um, But thankfully, once they knew... You pulled that, it off. Andrew, in the song, songwriting, did you have that vision of, uh, I mean, it's an interesting song structure. You've got the chorus up front, you know, like a, an Abba's Dancing Queen. I don't think there's any other really in excess song of thrusted a chorus out at the audience so yeah. immediate. Um, um, I, I think, I think again, that was born out of, um, I already had the backing music in my mind, what I wanted, um, but the chorus, I wanted it to, yeah, to be, a, a, you know, an anthemic sort yeah. of sing-along thing. Um, I, in hindsight, 
you know, when I think about that track carefully, it could have been, you know, a little maybe like a bittersweet symphony thing like with Verve where we could have done it slightly differently where it would have been all about the music and a little less to do with that big chorus. But I, I think it's okay. I think that to me, you know, is, is, it was just, a, you know, I mean, I think it did really well commercially for for the yep. band, and that was, you know, makes Rebel Company happy. You know, well, I, th- um, I think I think that Michael, we, we really, I think you probably heard, really thought Michael had a lot of fun on that, the, the real rap sort of lyric thing there, and he seemed to really thrive. The film clip's great. It, it's, it was, it's such a joyous sound. Again, that Beatlesque big sort of all you need is love type sort of big yeah. sound. It's um, Phil Spector well, almost like. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that, that optimism of that song was important to me as a songwriter. Mm. You know, to me, I felt that, you know, I still feel like that today. You know, um, when I write songs, I'm I'm very much thinking carefully about, you know, the consequences of what you put out there. And I've heard other people talk about that too. Um, other well, McCartney's writers. a very optimistic songwriter, isn't he? Well, because, yeah, I think that's right. You know, I think a lot of that thinking, it's interesting when you look at certain you know, absolutely dynamically famous uh, and 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 um, iconic, there's a word I'm looking for, you know, so, such as Louis Armstrong, you know, all the time in the world or it's a wonderful world and these sort of phrases, as they matured as an artist, they began to recognise that it's not about fame and money, it's about what they're, what they're projecting to people, you know, is what they will be remembered for, you know, and and that is a very serious thing. And I think so. For me, as a writer, I think the positivity of that song that it that you know to have okay, you know, it might have been a bit over the top, but then again, you know, I think we're we're looking at the future. The future is about children, you know, and about families, and that's all we have. Yeah, it's an uplifting song, isn't it? Yeah. Even though it's like "Baby Don't Cry," you're consoling somebody and uplifting them at the same time. It's it's a great that's song. Right. Hmm. Yeah, thanks. And where it's sequencing on the album, just uh, for you, Mark, was anything particular about that slot there? You remember? Uh yeah, that was well. Actually, was it the first song side two? Yeah, but that very thing, you know. Okay, here we go again. You know, <laughs> you know like uh, let's go, everybody. Yeah, intervals over. Of course, it was. It had to be there, in my opinion. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have had to be earlier up the album. Yeah. My, great video for it too. Mm. One of my favourite in excess videos. Yeah. A lot of people don't like it as well, but I, I just love that video. Just love it. It's so grand and yeah, and it feels just modern. And There's lots so going cool. on. There's snakes and suits and you know a kaleidoscope oh, of colours and that, that entrance down the stairs in the yeah. suits. Address. It's just, just great. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not Michael no. doing this thing. It's, it's, it's in excess entry. I loved it. Yeah, we spoke on the episode last week about the album cover being a little bit unique, and I, I think I, I said something on the lines of that era was about less is more, and all the singles didn't have the band on them, and I liked that at the time. You know, mm. maybe it's not a great marketing ploy, but a lot of other bands were doing it. Um, the interiors of the guys out in the desert there with your brown suits on and then that video with the black and white suits. Do you have any memories of that, Andrew, at all? Uh, with a lot of yeah, those I mean, that, the band that's was something I do all the time is sit out in the middle of desert. a, a <laughs> broken hill in a house suit. 
Yeah. Why wouldn't you? But we would do these sorts of things wherever we were in the world at the time because that was another thing that I always enjoyed with our videos is that we, again, we in excess didn't ever made the same video over and over and over again. We would always try to think, well, what can we do that's a bit different or what, are we, what haven't we done or let's try this or try that. And I think to Michael, especially Michael's credit, and to the video makers who, who they, they would go along with some pretty crazy, crazy stuff, really, when I think about it, um, and, and get into it somehow. Um, but I, and I think that showed later on, especially with things, you know, like Grammy nominations and MTV awards and things. I remember at the MTV awards, I think we played Suicide Blonde uh, with Rod Stewart standing there side stage. And then I can remember we walked out having won this award and then Robin Williams ran up and grabbed Tim's suitcase for some reason and was running around while all the photographers were standing there. And there's a photo of us all there and I'm looking at Robin Williams. I'm not looking at the camera. I'm like, <laughs> this is far more interesting what's going on over here. Why has Tim got a suitcase in the yeah. <laughs> to put his awards in. Robin free, Williams, free guitars. funny guy. You know, he, he just decided that that would look good and he was right. I'm like, that's funny. You know, he was like, I'll get your luggage for you. He was like, you know, like this. You know. But, um, you know. Um, the bellboy. <laughs> whatever. Um, very, yeah, very sad. That ending for, for oh, but, um, I was trying to think of something else to say there. I, it was it just uh, with, the, the video directors, maybe? No, no, no. It was with Baby Don't Cry. And I know what it was. Baby Don't Cry and Communication. Um, I wrote the original parts of it using the tiny little Yamaha kids keyboard, I think, that had like a little sequencer in it. And I wrote most of those two music. <laughs> Pits, wow. pits for yeah, baby don't wow. cry, and for communication using that kids little, little kid kitties keyboard thing, um, and some of the sounds too. But uh, communication, I think they translated, but baby don't cry just was the demo of whatever it was I was doing because it turned orchestral, of course. Wishing well next, Andrew. What's your memories of that song for you? I remember that Michael really liked the loopy sort of, I don't know, you know, repetitive in that era and in that time frame around that year, there was like soul to soul and you had a lot of R and B stuff that was very popular in nightclubs and with DJs and that sort of thing. And we were trying, we were, you know, like we would go to visit places like that, you know, for some R and R time or, you know, if, if, or especially Michael, you know, he as a, a sort of bohemian, you know, uh, guy like he was, he would get in and out of all sorts of, you know, international hotspots and run around, do all these things. And those influences for him, there's where he wasn't so much, you know, a typical rock guy. He was a sort of fan of different genres. And so he, he liked the fact that when I was talking, the same with like Not Enough Time and, and Wishing Well and these sorts of things. I was trying to latch on to the the idea of doing those more R and B sort of soul grooves and these things because and, and you know and locking into them you know I hope that that translated okay yeah, yeah I think the song uh, reminds a bit of uh, Building Bridges of Elegantly Wasted it's sort of quite minimalist and it's Michael up front and then the you know the, the it's got a similar tempo and rhythm to it you know yeah I have to say just for you know 
uh, elegantly wasted, just want to say across the board, I think that there's many things about that record that have grown on me in the passage of time. I have particularly sort of troubled memories of that those sessions, not because of the music or the songs, but because of the negative, you know, imagery that was that was very much at the forefront of most media about Michael or his life or whatever. And I think that to me, there's Elegantly Waste is a really interesting record. And probably Mark does not, I don't know if I've ever told him this, but um, like Kick and like with Welcome to Have You Are, the same with Elegantly Wasted, that was another album that Michael came to me and he said, I want you and I to work together like we did with Welcome, like we did with Kick. I really, really want to do this, you know. And But he, he and he said, I won't let you down. I'll really, we'll really stick to being a team. And I said, okay. And that's how we went into it and that's how it finished. I remember Michael sitting on a bus, a tour bus with us, you know, um, somewhere there in 97 and saying quietly to all of us guys, um, I feel safe with all of you, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, and I think that was a really, really a treasured memory for me. And we were like, "Oh, yeah, have another beer, mate." You know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanks but, for sharing but, that. That's no, really but that to me yeah. was a very serious thing because mm. I think he felt wherever he went in other places he'd be chased. This is Sheila from Birmingham, Alabama. This is Susan from Cincinnati, Ohio. Hi, this is Maite from Montreal, Canada. This is Suzanne from Los Angeles, California. And that's a wrap. Well, we were very lucky, weren't we, to be a part of that, uh, having Andrew and Mark together. And um, boy, you know, I think... I didn't want it to end, even though it went on for four hours. It was like still like, oh, no, I didn't get to ask any of the patron questions i feel so bad for we, you we, guys we, but i hope that some of your questions got answered still we, we, we it, it's actually sort of hard to justify going listen over four hours we couldn't ask them but no. if you hadn't been in the moment where we were going through this and and the, the subject matter both mark and andrew veered around a lot and a lot mm. yeah we were just trying to sort of you know get the albums reviewed in a certain way but yeah. the tangents they went on and the depth we would have been just too much to go through another half an hour of those things but we did try to weave them in ourselves because yeah. we knew was going to struggle to get them in. What and was nice was listening to Andrew talk, though, because he's so thoughtful and you can see it. He's a little brain, well, big brain, going, yeah. and you're like, I want to ask him a question, but he's, he's still thinking about what he's going to yeah. say. And then you're like, I, I can't He doesn't ask him waste that. an answer. He gives no. every question the, 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 the time and effort that it sort of, in his mind, deserves, which is mm. very nice. And what a great I think guy. the other thing, yeah, I think the other thing that, sort of came across, you know, when they were sort of talking and sort of giving their time was, you know, the podcast form format, be it, you know, a couple of hours there, lends itself for them to elaborate and for him to go into some personal stuff about Michael and conversations he's never really spoken to anyone else about. Such a thank you from us to be able to go there mm. for you, for, for the listeners to hear that. I think that mm-hmm. was just credit to both. Yeah, I want to say thank you to Mark Opitz for what you said to Andrew about us as well and how how he trusts us. That was just, that's really nice, really nice. Yeah, Yeah, I can't wait to get Andrew back on there so we can ask him more questions. Well, I I think, look, obviously, as we know, as we put this together in the interview a couple of weeks ago and we've sort of, uh, well, sorry, I won't won't quote myself, you have edited it together. (laughs) See, Mark, (laughs) I've cited my influence. You have edited it together. But I did email both Mark and Andrew on our behalf about just thanking them on our behalf coming on. I think the thing that came back was that they both felt it was a safe place to talk, you know, and a comfortable place to get the best out of them. So we appreciate those uh, comments back as well. So thank you guys. And uh, 
we will give you a couple of weeks off and we'll get into full moon pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> just to maybe highlight um, the people have bought fan kits and ah. just say thank you to those people because yeah. we've had a massive response and mm. um, I know we've got limited supply, but uh, you've got a list of some people out there. And again, I don't know if it's all of the list of everybody, but some in the last week or two have, have purchased. Yeah. Do you want to highlight some of those people? Yeah. I wanted to thank for everyone for their patience. And also I'm sorry that it's been a little bit um, confusing with the shipping because it, there was just so many options it is going to change again and it'll be a bit more concise so i'll be getting that out very very soon but i just want to say a thank you for purchasing your orders are on their way coming across the globe the dhl people who've Mm. gone for dhl they'll get it in a week how good is that? Bright yellow mm. box coming to you in a week. But the other guys who have ordered via Mexico, you're looking at three to four weeks. It's a huge yeah, difference, look, isn't it? In Australia, when you send a letter two suburbs away, there's almost a warning down at the post office where they say, okay, uh, don't expect to get there as quick because of just mm. COVID and everything there. But um, do you have some names there of people you want I to highlight? I do, I do. Yep. So first off the block was Matt Dean. Wow, he was quick as so and, and we know ella as well from uh, the netherlands which yes. she's a she's a hot chick as well she was straight <laughs> in and paul jolie not to miss out uh, mandy carden got carmen obviously laurel who is quite a new patron she's pretty good at um getting involved with everything with us got ace banks our superstar and marie and um, martin norton you remember martin from the uk yep and yep. Sheila Ricketts, Amanda Holsoff, Jackie Beasley, and Shannon Moon. And the team, the team have all got theirs come in. So we've got Foxy, Danielle, Dr. Jim, Ali, uh, Matey, Suzanne, uh, Laurie, someone called Hayden, someone oh. called B. <laughs> Actually, I got mine. Oh, and carry on. I got mine. And please, if we've forgotten to mention your name, don't take it personally. Oh, Um, no, don't you you worry. You're all on my list. Yeah, we uh, we always do our best to try to remember everybody, but sometimes we don't. But um, thank you so far for those people. Yeah, I'd like to say that I did do an unveiling. I did get very excited. I was actually shaking opening the box. It was that exciting because I'd had to hold on to it for a day. My daughter wouldn't even let me open it until I showed it to you all. But it is fantastic the quality of this product is amazing you know when something smells so wonderful and new get your kits guys yeah 
absolutely. Also, too, uh, we are, you know, as we know, this is a Thursday drop Australian time in your Australian region. It might even be late Wednesday in the Northern Hemisphere, but it's only about another four sleeps till we have the November 22 Michael edition, which is which is more of a homage type of get together where we put out a bit of a, a memory of Michael for those who were getting their last minute entries into B for your audio about what Michael meant to you and your thoughts and feelings, be it positive, upbeat, down to a little bit melancholy. We do urge you to get those in. Uh, I know people wait to the last minute, but please help us out because editing wise, we would love to put that in the can quickly and enjoy a weekend next week. So that Monday edition, November 22, Australian time will come out and uh, it will probably come out uh, maybe the night before in your respective region. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's uh, the play out, uh, I guess, of that one, B. any Anything else you want to ask of uh, listeners for that? The feedback on that, Hayden, is that a lot of people have said they've tried to do it and they've been in tears. So like, I can understand that because like, we get a little bit sad. Mm. But if you just want to write them out to me, um, either uh, um, myself or Hayden will read them out for you. Yeah. No problem. You can do yeah. that. So just yeah, well, if, if send them via them email or message us um, personally. We're happy to do that for you. Yeah, but I also look at it, and if we heard from Andrew on these episodes, it's like celebrate Michael. Let's not commiserate. Mm. You know, he looks at his birthday more as of significance. And look, we want to acknowledge his passing, but you can be joyous. You know, I, I've really chosen to live my life now uh, with Michael and his passing in a really positive way about what he gave, not sort of what he, you know, missed out on. As I said, you know, pick a favorite song, pick a tune, pick something that you really love listening to on the way to school or, or you went out to a club and heard or whatever there. Like they don't have to all be melancholy. In fact, you know, mixing them up would be lovely in terms of doing that. So get them in, rain, hail or shine, email them, zoom them, message them, uh, messenger them, whatever it is, get them in. <laughs> it'll be a respectful episode and we'll try and find some nice footage of Michael having fun. Yeah. I just haven't even noticed the time go by. I, I am. I mean, I'm sure there's been moments where so-and-so would say so-and-so, you know, oh, I wish that person could you know, do this or do that. And, but in the end, it's ridiculous. I mean, we, we just had this uh, three musketeers or six musketeers attitude for so long, and it's still there very strongly. There's no talk or ever a question of replacing anybody or changing anything. Right, well, uh, that closeout song today, B, uh, comes with a bit of a twist, okay? Uh, you showed to me earlier, as we said at the start of the podcast, a certain item that is out of Tim's vault, and we looked at getting uh, this particular item signed by Andrew and Mark, but it is a Baby Don't Cry vinyl single. Now, put in perspective, I think Disappear might have been the last seven-inch single, technically worldwide, that came out on vinyl. To have a Baby Don't Cry, which is probably about five singles later, a vinyl single, uh, and we'll post this too. This is in mint condition on the back side there, B. It's got questions, I think, the instrumental version I can see. But this is uh, one of the rarest items on the planet. Uh, And we intend to get this signed by Mark and Andrew uh, to you and auction it out. And uh, we'd love to see it break a record, uh, which was set by Send a Message. But this is a, a fantastic uh, collector's item. Dee, any anything you want to add? Yeah, I do. So, you know, on the back at the top, and it says this is a UK version. 
for a start. Yes, yes. Yes. And then it says in excess 20. Does that mean this is number 20 off the press? Does that? I don't know. It could be. It could okay. be. Um, mm. I don't know. But it's uh, it's obviously UK, you know, edition. Does it say promo only or does it uh, not no. have that? No. Okay. So, um, but I guess as our tribute song today, uh, and especially kicking off sort of uh, side two with uh, a Mark Opitz mega wall of sound, we would like to go out with this song today. And it's going to be a little bit of a twist today. We, we, I know, B, you very much personally love the Baby Don't Cry vocal orchestral version of Mystify. Equally love that. And I love the Baby Don't Cry version of Welcome. Uh, we might just interchange the two of them a little bit today. A bit of an editing <laughs> nightmare as you dip your head and I ask you to do more. Uh, but we might uh, like to put them both together uh, in a little bit of a collage going out so you can hear the orchestral because the Michael version, we hear his vocals up front are really good and then the big band sound is great, which Mark talked about in the recording side. So we thought Baby Don't Cry would be a great one to go with today. Uh, B, it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody.
said, change is an attitude guaranteed to take hold of you. So welcome to the turnstile. Take a turn with a new vibe. Said, hey, I know what you know. All the sympathy made a mess of me. Respect the sacrifice before the number one. Now it has begun. 